The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Wednesday edition of PFTOT. That's when we take some extra time to either talk about things we didn't get to during the show or a topic or two we may want to talk about a little bit more. And Chris, I'm going to start with one that that popped up while we were on the air. There were quotes recently from Colts coach Frank Reich regarding not starting quarterback Andrew Luck, but backup Jacoby Brissett, who's entering the final year of his contract Said Reich on 1070 The Fan in Indianapolis, it's impossible for me to have a higher opinion of Jacoby than I do. I said it last year. I think he's a top 20 quarterback. I still say that. After watching him for a year, this guy's really good. I tell Chris Ballard all the time, please don't let him go. I don't care what anybody offers. Don't let him go. I love Jacoby. The problem is now I've gotten to know Jacoby, and at some point I hope that it works out for Jacoby, but not now, right. at least not this year. They, and also they don't want Jacoby Brissett on the field this year because that means Andrew Luck won't be on the field. But this is high praise from a coach of a guy who's going to jump into the free agent market in, what, eight or nine months? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, there's so many things to talk about. You know, this is Jacoby Brissett's a starting quarterback in the NFL. I, you know, again, in my rankings, you know, I had him in the top 32. He is. I mean, he's got size, he's athletic, and he's got an awesome arm. And I think what Frank Reich has probably realized, especially this time of the year, Andrew Luck didn't practice a lot in OTAs and couldn't do minicamp because of the calf strain. And I'm sure with Jacoby Brissett getting the extra work and getting another year in this system, he probably opened eyes to where they went wow I mean this guy is he's legit he's big time and I you know New England I think saw some of those traits in him and yeah you know you don't trade a guy like this away right now not on this team you know this is a team that I think it can be in that Super Bowl conversation you know if things fall the right way and you don't trade a good backup quarterback on a team where you feel like you're a Super Bowl caliber team why because gosh if your starting quarterback goes down and you don't have a good backup quarterback you screw the other 52 guys on the team they go man our team was a Super Bowl team and we just didn't have a fail-safe plan for the most important position on the team and Chris Ballard and Frank Reich aren't going to let that happen and you know good for Jacoby Reset. really cool by Frank Reich to say those things about a guy who's going to be a free agent a year from now. Unless he's just trying to build a trade market for Jacoby Brissett well, and they can move too. him at some point <laughs> this season. Too. But here's the here's the other side of this, Chris. Yeah. Contract expires. Do they apply the franchise tag to Jacoby Brissett? They've got all that cap space. they got enough cash for Jim Ursay to buy various vintage instruments that are seven figures in price. Do you tag and then try to trade Brissett the way that the Patriots did with Matt Castle a decade ago and the way the Eagles considered doing it with Nick Foles until they realized there wasn't going to be anybody out there to trade for him and they were potentially going to be stuck with Foles at $25 million. I mean, Brissett at $25, 26000000 million would be making more than Andrew Luck as the backup quarterback. 
but they've got the cap space to do it if they want to. They do. They got the cap space. I think it's unlikely that they'll want to do that. I mean, I, I do. But What about to trade him? Yeah, what about, you I can know do the, it to trade him. Right. If they felt like, yeah, they got that, okay, There's I, that's more of a realistic possibility. I, I do think that that's a possibility. Now, will teams really want to trade if that's the case and they can't kind of negotiate? Or they can negotiate after the fact. You're right, right? So I forgot about that too. So, yeah, I think that's a real possibility. But uh, I certainly don't think it'll be a franchise and, and try to keep them there. But, you know, the other thing, Mike, I just wanted to hit on there, you know, it is, it is not a good look and not cool. And we didn't get a chance to talk about this week that, you know, the Colts are a team with all this cap space and their owner is out there buying toys for himself for a million dollars a pop all the time. It's just not cool. I mean, uh, you know, to me as a guy that's a fan of the game and wants wealth spread to the players, uh, I, I don't really love that part of it. Well, you know what? Colts fans got upset that we made that point recently when it was $5 million that was spent by Jim Ursay to buy a couple of guitars and a guitar case. They've got $55 million in cap space. Yeah. And, and the point – and look, one of the things that needs to happen in the next CBA, that minimum spending requirement needs to go up. Right now it's 89% on a four-year average. It needs to be up in the mid-90s. These teams need to be forced to spend that money because that is money that you just suck right off the top. Mm -hmm. It's 11 cents on the dollar right. that you can retain. The, the whole idea is supposed to be we have a salary cap to limit the propensity of teams to spend more if they could. Well, if you, if you have teams that aren't even spending 90% and they're carrying so much cap space and the owner is buying all these expensive toys instead, yeah, I think it's a fair concern. So I'm glad you raised it. Anybody who has a problem with it, uh, Directed to C. Sims QB on Twitter, not to Pro Football Talk, although we, we tend to agree on that point. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next subject. And this is Von Miller, the Super Bowl 50 MVP, raving about a new teammate, a guy who ended up not sticking around in Miami, a first-round pick that they decided not to re-sign. Juwan James playing right tackle, four-year, $51 million contract in Denver. And Miller says he's the best right tackle I've had to go against in practice throughout my entire career. Uh, James and I get to spar, get better, sharpen the sword every day with him and left tackle Garrett Bowles. It's going to be a great year for the offense and the defense. And, you know, we, we shouldn't or we should focus on this more than we do. The quality of the competition on your practice field yeah. makes you better, right? It makes you better. And going against Von Miller is going to make Jawan James better. And if James is better than what Miller's gone against in the past in practice, it's going to make him better as too. Right. That, that, that's why the Seahawks have been as good as they've been. They embrace that level of competition sure. on the practice field. Competition Wednesdays, go out there and work hard against each other, get better against each other, then it's easier when yeah. you got to face an opponent. No doubt. You know, you, you play another team and you go, oh gosh, I mean, this guy they got starting here isn't as good as the guy I've been going against all in training camp every day. So yeah, it gives you that self-confidence to go out there and, and be the player you want to be. Jawan James, there's a reason he was picked in the first round. I mean, he has all the tools to be, you know, that franchise right tackle type of specimen. I mean, he's long, long arms, really good feet, you know, pretty good in the run game, doing all that. But the th other thing that jumps out to me, and yeah, did he underwhelm a little bit in Miami and like live up to the draft expectations? No, not exactly. But I think this is another example, Mike, to me, or at least the first thing I thought of here was, okay, Jawan James, talented guy, goes to the Broncos. And what's really changed? 
Um, it's the Dante Scarnecchia effect. It's the Mike Munchak effect. That's what it changes when I think about things like this. I go, damn, yeah, here's a talented guy who now goes to a team who's got a really good coach at his position, and we go, whoa, a la Trent Brown from the 49ers to the New England Patriots and so on, where you go, whoa, this guy is pretty damn good. You know, what's been going on? Oh, what's been going on is he got another coach to teach him a few new tricks or a few new different aspects of technique, and now his game has gone to another level. And, and, and I would envision that's what a lot has happened in, in Denver with uh, Juwan James. Storyline number 29 of the 30 that we're following at PFT in advance of the start of the 2019 season. When will Dwayne Haskins start in Washington? Doug Williams, the senior VP of player personnel in Washington, has raved about Haskins. And here's the quote that he gave to Steve Weish of NFL Network. Dwayne might end up starting. That could happen. I don't want to say he's going to start game one today. But it's been enjoyable to see what Dwayne Haskins has done. So that door's open yeah. for Haskins to be the week one starter. And, Chris, you made this point yesterday. Not an easy array of opponents right out of the gates. It could be baptism by by fire for Dwayne Haskins if he ends up starting week one. But maybe that's what they decide to do. It's work with other quarterbacks where it accelerates that learning curve. Yep. And if they're ever going to be great quarterbacks, they're going to survive that. Yes. And they're going to be better right. because of it. Right. No doubt. There's nothing in practicing quarterback in the NFL is very hard to do. It's the hardest position in all sports to practice. You just can't emulate the real, you know, the, the realness of an NFL football game with the fans and the intensity. And now you're live and the defensive ends can rip your head off and all of those things, you know. So, yeah, you're out of your comfort zone where practice is a lot more comfortable for the most part. But the one thing that continues to ring true here and you know I know I said it a few weeks ago when they started out on OTAs with Dwayne Haskins I mean I heard pretty right away where it was one of those things where he jumped out on the practice field and I think a lot of the coaches and people in the organization looked at each other and went whoa okay, this guy's a little more talented than maybe I gave him credit for. And we kind of continue to hear these kind of things, whether it's Jay Gruden, you know, at the start of OTAs or ending the minicamp or now here Doug Williams once again. Nonetheless, it sounds like everything is going in the right direction for Dwayne Haskins and that they're extremely impressed with who he is and the talent level that he has to this point. But, yeah, the beginning of the season – that's, that's going to be the big question. Is he ready mentally to orchestrate the offense and handle some of those defenses early on? And who's making that call? Is it Jay Gruden, who possibly needs a playoff appearance this year to stick around for 2020? Or is it somebody higher in the organization saying, sorry, Jay, this is our quarterback. Put Dwayne Haskins on the field, even if it means we go 6-10, and 10, even if it means we're looking for a new coach in 2020. New coach in Arizona this year for the second straight year. And Cliff Kingsbury wanted Kyler Murray to be his quarterback, but Brett Hundley hasn't gotten the memo that the competition is over. Brett Hundley, he he says he's competing to be the starting quarterback in Arizona. He's willing to help Kyler Murray, but the former UCLA quarterback says, uh, hey, my goal has always been to start no matter what position it's in. I don't want to be second. That's my goal, to get that starting job. And at the same time, it's competition for a reason there are different types of backup quarterbacks some who are competing with the starter others who are supporting the starter 
I, I mean, is this just delusion by Brett Hundley, or do you think there's a way he could uh, convince Cliff Kingsbury that that maybe he's the better option right out of the gates? Well, you know, it's the right approach by him. This is the way he should be approaching. But you stole the word I was going to use. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, this is what makes athletes really good is they can be delusional and tell themselves things that are not true to continue to motivate them and, you know, almost make a false universe into where they think there's a chance there. Yeah, I mean, Brett Hundley, I love what he's saying. I want him to compete and continue to get better and act like he's going to be the starter. But that is their negative ghost rider. Kyler Murray's the quarterback. The pattern is full, okay? There is no way anybody else is starting that quarterback other than Kyler Murray. I mean, he would have to have an epically bad preseason, I think, for that to happen, where he literally throws like – six interceptions in the preseason. And it's the only way I see that happen. Other than that, Kyler Murray's the guy, and that's why they picked him number one. And that's why I think some teams will install that rookie quarterback at number three on the depth chart initially and force him to work his way up. Yeah. So he develops that confidence. There's a sense he's earned it. And and you have that, that uh, fallback in the event that he does stick. You don't have to demote him. You right. just leave him where he is. Right. Right. We put him at three. We expect him to be one. But if he stinks, then it's easier to keep him there than move him down. So, uh, look, they're all in with this guy. I'd be shocked if it's anybody but Kyler Murray Murray starting week one. But I I like the confidence. It's like Amari Cooper saying, I want 2,000 receiving yards. It's unrealistic. But if it motivates you every day to be the best that you can be, and that's the thing that you do to push your own buttons, then so be it. That's so right. Brett Hundley, and I, I remember when Brett Hundley was at UCLA, they're thinking this guy can, you know, yeah. there's so many guys who come out of college that we think they could be good quarterbacks, and there still aren't enough good quarterbacks to go around. Uh, pretty good receiver in New England in the form of Julian Edelman. He won the Super Bowl 53 MVP award. We spent a lot of time talking during the show about PED use, whether or not Julian Edelman has ever been truly accountable. Has he ever been pressed on what he took, why he took it, and did he know he was cheating, that he was taking something at the time he took it that was a violation of the PED policy, or was it like so many other guys who say, well, you know, I, hey, I just took a, a supplement that was spiked with something. He's never been pressed to answer that. I think that that his silence is deafening in that regard and right. tells me he did know what he was doing. Yep. He did take a PED in order to accelerate his recovery from that torn ACL he suffered in the 2017 preseason. But Chris, Look, you made a good point. Maybe the NFL and the NFLPA should negotiate a small range of injuries for which certain types of PEDs are permissible to allow that recovery process to happen faster so the guys can get back on the field. Right? Right. They take all sorts of other crap that isn't a PED to get back on the field, prescription painkillers, et cetera. Right. Maybe there are some things, a small category, narrow range of things a guy yeah. can take. Okay, fine. Negotiate that. How about show that you give a crap about cheating, though, and at the yeah. same time you're negotiating that, let's make the punishment more stringent for a guy who does test positive. And how about this? Do what baseball does. You get four games, and you don't get to play in the playoffs. Right. That's something you've said several times as it relates to Julian Edelman. Maybe that's what the punishment should be. And without that kind of a punishment, is it a surprise that people don't care 
about PED use, more than 50% in the poll question that we posted today don't care. It doesn't seem like the NFL cares. It seems like it's just checking a box. It's not nearly the punishment that it should be for cheating the game, cheating the sport, taking a substance that artificially makes you bigger, faster, stronger than you otherwise would be. Yeah, right. Well, and the Julian Edelman case is certainly not going to scare anybody away from doing it. Oh, what? Oh, I can take it. I lose four games and then be celebrated after the season. Oh, you what? You know, great playoff run. You win the Super Bowl MVP, and just everybody celebrates him. And you know, I mean, there. Gosh, there was talk there. Remember the Super Bowl week? Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? And I was like, my brain was blowing up. I mean, whoa. And again, I don't know to what extent did he take it to get healthy? Was he taking this for performance levels? I don't know all of that. I want to think he was taking it to be healthy, but regardless, at the end of the day, like you're saying, he cheated. These are the rules they are right now, and it's unfair to the other people who did it the right way to try to heal from injuries or if he was trying to get better. It's unfair to the you know the players who are doing it the right way too and just going out there and drinking protein shakes and working hard and doing it that way too to where I go, you're cheating a lot of people uh, along, as well as that. But, you know, I am shocked that people don't care as much as they do. Uh, I know it really bothers me. But to what you said first too, Mike, I'm, I, you know, I, I agree. I just think, you know, hopefully we can find a way the, the 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 suspension of the playoff thing I think should happen. You got to hit these players harder. You either got to hit them harder with a playoff suspension or some more games, or you got to make the what you tested positive for in the PED scale. Uh, you need to make it public to give players the fear of embarrassment, right? I think that would certainly stop some players to go, oh, I can't use the I accidentally took something from GNC that I didn't know about. Yeah, sure, go kiss my butt with those excuses. I'm so sick of that crap. Um, but but I do want to find a fine line there for torn ACL, torn Achilles, torn patella tendon. You know, it, maybe it's a month after the surgery you're allowed to take these PEDs to help accelerate the process of rehabbing and getting people back to their strength because it is their profession and uh, it is how they're making a living as well. Yeah, and, and look, I, I – I can get behind the idea of expanding the list or narrowing the list, rather, of banned substances under certain circumstances. But, you know, on that la- on, on one of the points you made uh, in that last response, the idea that there is a difference between recovering from an injury versus just trying to get better, do you believe that it's different? Because in my yeah. mind, it's the same. PED use is PED use. There is no exception currently right. for recovering from injury. Now, maybe there should be under certain circumstances, but, you know, over 60% of the people who responded to our other question today see a difference between using a PED to recover from an injury versus you using a PED just to go get bigger, faster, and stronger. It's the same thing, folks. Well, it's cheating regardless as the way it's laid out right now. But I, I think what players are saying, I mean, what the people I, I would guess are saying, or at least my thought of this is, yeah, I do look at it as a little differently. I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, if you're if you're really banged up and hurt and you uh, you needed to take a PED to help to strengthen the ligaments and do all that, yes, within the rules of the letter of the law right now, I know it's cheating, but I look at that as less egregious, right, than the guy who's totally healthy and it's, you know, it's March, April, May, June, and he's just giving himself more HGH or more whatever it is, and he's getting all of a sudden he went from 4-5-4 four, 
four to now he's four, four, nine, and he weighs 15 or 20 pounds more, and he can squat 100 pounds more, and he can bench press another 50 pounds. That's where I go, no, that's just crazy. That's BS. You're cheating. You're breaking laws. Now you're, you're endangering other people on the football field because you're excessively bigger and stronger than you should be, and it's not fair to the guys that are. Also endangering themselves. I, I do think the reason we see these like non-contact ACL injuries at times is because I go, guys are just, they're bigger and stronger than their body was intended to be at times. And I go, that's why your knee gave out. And I think HGH can play a role into that with performance-enhancing drugs, with guys being too strong or too big or too powerful for what their body was really made to be. Here's the bottom line. The rule is currently very clear. There is a specific list of substances that players are prohibited from taking, and it is a strict liability standard. If the substance is in your body, if it is detected in that urine test, you are tested positive, you have violated the policy, and you are suspended for games. And the thing that irritates me more than anything else is that, you know, under the excuses we've heard over the last 30 years, they've never caught an actual deliberate cheater. Right. Every guy, well, I didn't realize what I was taking. Okay, how can it be that every guy that ever gets caught says that? That means they've never actually caught someone who actually was consciously, deliberately cheating. And it could be that Julian Edelman is the closest thing to that because he's the one guy who hasn't come out and said he got a bad supplement somewhere. He's just basically said nothing, right. which maybe says everything. Yeah, right. I think it does. It says it all. He never tried to BS or make an excuse. I mean, I could still remember a, a thing right before the season where they was asked about it and he just looked and said, I don't know, which I meant you do know and you knew you were wrong and he just felt really bad about it and you don't want to talk about it. And, uh, you know, again, I, I want to root for Julian Edelman, but this certainly has made me second guess things for sure. And, you know, I've already put out poll question number three. Now, a lot of times the early results are indicative of what the ultimate results will be. 500 votes so far, just in the last two minutes. I asked this question, should players who violate the PED policy be suspended four games and banned from postseason play like baseball? Already 65% say no. Wow. People just don't care. People, Chris, I think the, the fans, it's baked in the idea that there's no way that football players are that big, that strong, that fast, come back from injuries that quickly unless there's pharmaceutical enhancement and we're just okay with it. For as as okay as we aren't with it in baseball, we are okay with it in football. Yeah, I know. And again, this is the big, you know, I know we talked about this on the show. How many guys do we really feel like are doing in the NFL? And I seem to be a little naive and low when I talk to people. I always go, eh, maybe, you know, five, six, seven guys on a team. I know you think it's more. I know there's a a lot of ex-players that I talk about that I think are more, you know, and I think, you know, to your point where the general public goes, oh, man, I, how could they be this big and strong? You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm different, too, but I grew up around it. I played, you know, football at, at the University of Texas. You know, a lot of these times, these guys that I see are big and strong. You know why they're big and strong? Do you know why they're why? big and strong? Oh, thank you. Why? why? Are you listening or are you texting? I, I, I didn't right. know you were waiting. For, no, yeah. I didn't know. I thought, I thought you, you know, you know that, that's yeah. how normal human conversation works. Hey, do you know why I did that? I'll tell you why. Yeah. Tell me. I didn't know that you were expecting dialogue there. Why? <laughs> thank you. Such good dialogue right there. <laughs> uh, because their parents are giant humans too. You know, that's the one thing I, you know, I, I don't, you know, think gets glossed over. You've watched the NFL draft before. Okay. I mean, gosh, I see moms and dads on the carpet. Sometimes and I go, whoa, you know, 
mom might be able to play middle linebacker and dad might be able to play defense end. And I'm not trying to say that to be disrespectful, but you know, that's why the son is a giant human being and a physical freak because his parents are too. But I, I hey. don't know what to think with this whole thing. It's tough. I got, I got one last point to make. I don't think you're naive regarding the extent to which PEDs were used. Yeah. I think the locker room generally, and I mean this as a compliment. Yeah. Uh, unless it comes out as an insult, but I'll still say I mean it as a compliment. I think they pegged you as a guy who who was not going to participate and was not going to condone. And if you saw something, you were going to say something. Not that you were going to be a snitch per se. Right. But I think they could read that you were a guy that wasn't going to mess with it and you weren't going to be happy about it if anybody was doing it. So, hey, it's we, we, got, we got to keep this away. We can't let Chris know we're doing this. I, I, think they, real, I, think they figured, I think they figured out they were going to have a real problem if you knew what was going on. I don't deny that, Mike. I, I'd have been the guy that in the locker room that, pro, you know, I mean, probably I did. I mean, you know, uh, you know I, I would speak out about these type of matters and be like, that's BS if I I'm heard about shocked. it. Yeah, you know I'm me. shocked to know that. There's a reason Brandon so called me the uh you know shi stirrer he used to call me that he goes oh gosh here comes the stir he's coming into the locker room because he knew i was going to stir up some good conversation well uh, uh, that's why i'm glad you're part of what we're doing now we got one more day before our four-week hiatus chris you're going to miss me more than you realize now <laughs> even if you are running for the eggs it's one more day for you two more days for me we'll be back thursday with another edition of PFT Live and PFTOT. Great work today, Chris. We'll talk, we'll talk again tomorrow. See you, man. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.